If you think cash back at thousands of your favorite stores sounds too good to be true, think again. With Rakuten, you can save on whatever you're buying for the holidays. So while you're getting gifts for friends and family, get some cash back for yourself too. Don't forget festive home decor, party outfits, and that trip to see your fam. Because shopping for everything is much more magical with cash back. Rakuten makes it so easy. Here's how it works. Rakuten partners with stores you know and love. Places like Macy's, Bobby Brown, Finish Line, and Ray-Ban. These stores actually pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares that money with you as cash back. You can even stack coupons and deals on top of cash back. Shop at Rakuten.com or by using the Rakuten app, and you'll get your cash back payments through PayPal or check. It's that easy. Start your holiday shopping with Rakuten.com to save at over 3,500 stores. Shop for free at Rakuten.com or get the Rakuten app. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Rakuten.com. In the week that saw Michael Barrymore return to ITV, Emma Willis join the circle and Lorraine Kelly go viral, this is Series Linked. I'm Emma Bullymore from the TV Times and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hiya Jeffers. Hey Emma, how's it going? Good, thank you. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Thanks for bothering. Always appreciate it. On this week's episode of the podcast dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand, the new hosts of Top Gear, Freddie Flintoff, Paddy McGuinness and Chris Harris join us here in this very studio. Forget Killing Eve, we look ahead to Big Little Lies coming to Sky Atlantic and Matthew Wright shares his box set to watch before you die. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. So, Jaffers, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. I've been a bit ill, but I'm feeling much better now, and I've, I've watched loads of TV in bed, so I feel really prepped for this pod, so I'm good, yeah. So you're delighted, professionally speaking, to be ill. I'm, I'm, yeah, it's worked out well for this pod. <laughs> for the purposes of the audience and this podcast, it's, it's been a good thing. So, yeah, everyone's a winner. Fantastic. Well, so I don't want to waste too much time. I'm going to get straight into it because I've been waiting for this for ages. Big Little Lies is back on Sky Atlantic. Jeffers, reckon this could be a future kind of box set to watch before you die, that kind of territory? Definitely, definitely. This is like up there with, with the best of it. You know, you've got some really big names in it. Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman and now Meryl Streep as well. These are people who could headline a Hollywood film. They'd be the top of the poster. And all three of them are in this one drama on Sky. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Meryl Streep's a new person involved. She is playing Perry's mother, Mary Louise. And it's the Monterey Five, if you remember, all the women in it. And basically there was a murder at the end of the first series. Perry was murdered, pushed over the edge by one of the girls. But he's a nasty man, so we wanted him to be murdered. Yeah, I mean, maybe a slightly accidental murder. Murder might be pushing it. But there there was an altercation. He was doing what what he does, being really horrible, being really aggressive. And um, yeah, he got what what was coming to him, really. So we join it, um, not like Killing Eve 30 seconds after. We sort of join it, I think, a summer afterwards. We're back for the new term at school. And it just really, really keeps going as as it left off. And it's really excellent. I I love it. What did you think? Yeah, Meryl Streep's character is obviously trying to get to the bottom of what happened to her son and how he died. So that's where the mystery comes in. I absolutely love this. I mean, I love Killing Eve as well, but to me, this is probably better. It's just that it's not on BBC and less accessible and therefore people talk about it a little bit less, although obviously it's had its fair share of hype. I just think it's brilliant. All the performances are brilliant. You know, I don't like anything that is too relentlessly dark and actually it has has beautiful scenery. Reese Witherspoon wears amazing clothes and I love her character anyway. She's kind of almost a sort of, there's a bit of Elle Woods in there and she, she is quite frothy, but she also is quite proud of who she is. 
I just think all the characters are really well drawn. Mel Streep is a fantastic addition to the cast. I mean, you said you texted me saying just give her all the awards now. You were pretty impressed, right? Yeah, I mean, just to, to give you an idea of what sort of character she is, I don't want to do her a disservice, but if Mrs. Mangle from Neighbours could be like an, an Oscar winner, <laughs> that is what Meryl Streep is here. That's the sort of character. She's quite nosy, inquisitive, and she's sort of coming in... It, my my worry was with this second series where it where it was going to go and how it was going to kick on really, but you've got her in there and she's getting her nose in amongst it and she's trying to find out what what really went on. The girls are all sort of trying to cover it up. They've got their own sort of story as as you would expect. It's sort of the death has affected them all in different ways, and so that's a really big aspect in terms of how each of them are dealing with it. You've got the character Bonnie played by Zoe Kravitz. She's really struggling to come to terms with it, and um, Nicole Kidman's character also. And some of the others seem to have managed to brush it off a little bit easier. But um, Perry's mother, basically Mel Streep's character, she's not going to let it go easily. I imagine we're going to see throughout this whole series, maybe a couple of series, her getting involved, and she she wants to find the truth. And in her eyes, the truth is perhaps is not the truth because she thinks Perry uh, is still a beautiful blue-eyed boy and can do nothing wrong. So you've got that contrast between what he was like and what she thinks he is, and and the truth trying to come out. So it's it's a fascinating start, really. And it does so much this series. One minute you've got Reese Witherspoon at the school gates worrying about you know really small petty issues and then the next minute you've got Nicole Kidman's character dealing with the aftermath of domestic abuse and how she still carries the feelings that she had with that so it does so much in a short space of time while looking amazing while giving amazing performances I just think it's absolutely the best Big Little Lies is you know my absolute favorite so yes I'm so glad it's back on form there's no dip from series one good news but talking about big American stars on telly Let's talk about Wild Bill, because I think this is slightly... We weren't really quite sure what to think about this. Set it up a little bit for us, Jeffers. I feel a bit sorry for Wild Bill coming on the back of Big Little Lies, but, I mean, that's that's the way it is. It is starting this week, Wednesday nights, ITV, 9 o'clock. It is Rob Lowe, the, the big Hollywood star. He is playing a high-flying police officer called Bill Hickson. He's arriving in Boston, Lincolnshire, which is a, a town filled with problems, with aggravation over immigration, that type of thing. It's a very different environment from the one he's come from in the States, where he was sort of a big, powerful police officer with big budgets and also sort of crime-fighting techniques using statistics. This feels like it's a step back in time for him, I guess. So he joins the police force. He's, he's head of the force, and he's sort of trying to solve crime. So in, in that sense, it's a traditional ITV police-solving crime drama but the difference is his character really he is uh, like a duck out of water there he, they seem to be playing it for both laughs and and serious sort of tone serious scenes in it so it's a little bit of a, a contradiction at times in that first episode they're trying to sort of make light of his character some of the other police officers are sort of joking that he's a cowboy and there's some comedic moments like that but then also they are trying to solve quite a serious murder case it's quite a contrast and it doesn't always work so it's a little bit a little bit tricky. He, he feels a bit too much of a cartoon character to begin with. And I think by the end of the first episode, it has settled down. But I'm, I'm not sure. It, it's sort of quite quirky and I wasn't really sure quite what to make of it. I found it very clunky, the first episode. When we first heard that this was commissioned, I just, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I'm like, this is Rob Lowe from the West Wing, from Parks and Rec, who I think is absolutely outstanding, can do anything he wants to do. And he's chosen not only to do an ITV drama, he's chosen to do a drama set in like freezing cold Britain. Yeah, it's very what random. What is he doing? So I was already intrigued and wanted to know what was going on. And I sat and watched it, obviously willing it to be brilliant because I think he really is great. And it was, it was, it didn't quite work. And obviously I always am one for, yeah, definitely put comedy in a drama, you know, make it a bit more like real life, you know, ups and downs, light and shade. But it just really didn't work the first episode. And he's got this daughter with him who's a bit precocious, who I just, uh, I just found irritating. But I thought, right, come on, I've got the second episode here. 
let's give this a go and it's just moves on completely it finds its stride in a, in a much more convincing way I'm not saying it's the best thing ever I'm not saying that it's kind of up with Big Little Lies or anything but it's an enjoyable watch and they sort of they just kind of get their tone right Craig Parkinson's in the second episode who's brilliant and it's more of a drama and it's less of an attempt to be funny and I think that that was a much better route to go with it yeah I'd agree with that I've, I've seen some of the second episode too and I think it settles down a lot of programs have that problem with the first episode they're trying to do too many things you know We've got Rob Lowe, he's a brilliant actor and he is good in this, but he's struggling. He's almost fighting in that first episode between trying to get some laughs and also trying to get these serious moments, some emotional moments as well. There's another great person in it, an actress called Bronwyn James. She plays DC Muriel Yardsley or Yardsley, she's known in it. I thought she was really good in it. She's sort of a, a foil for Rob Lowe's character. That relationship hopefully is going to develop through this series. So it might be worth sticking with it. I do think a lot of people, and, and you're going to see it probably on social media as well, that, that first episode, there is going to be some hit back and um, some criticism because it just seems a bit wild, wild by name, wild by nature. It does seem a bit all over the place. But yeah, it's definitely worth sticking with it, particularly if you like your police dramas, I think. Yeah, I think it's probably the case that they know that Rob Lowe's got good comedy chops and they're like, well, why would we waste that? And he can deadpan so well, we can use that. He actually, he's quite good for the British sense of humour. He's good at sarcasm, but I think they were best actually to kind of let the show lead and not just go off what Rob's good at. So yeah, stick with it. If you watch the first episode, obviously if you hate it, don't bother, but if you watch the first one and then think maybe, then I think, yeah, definitely go for episode two. You're listening to Series Linked. Up next, an interview with three very lively Top Gear presenters. Hello, podcasters. Are you hungry? I am. Well, actually, I always am. That's why I'm doing a new series called Out to Lunch with Jay Rayner, where I take interesting people to eat in a restaurant I reckon they'll like. I've spent my career interviewing over the dinner table. You just find that people relax more when they're being pelted with fine wines and being fed ample food. So in this first series, I'll be breaking bread with a whole bunch of people, including Richard E. Grant. Like a multiple rolling gastronomic orgasm. Mel C, Stanley Tucci, Tracy Ullman and Jamie Dornan. Out to lunch with Jay Rayner. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. You know you don't want to miss an episode. So the big event of the week, Top Gear is back with a brand new lineup of presenters. And here they are with us in the studio, Freddie Flintoff, Paddy McGuinness and Chris Harris. Hey, hey, so how's it going? It's going really, really well. You know, we did our first show last week and we got a really good response from, from the light, really good when we walked in. So we were like, oh, right, that's nice. But at the end of the show, because an audience will only give you so much licence, and at the end of the show, it was just like, God, they like it. You know, they'd seen the VTs for the first people to see them. And Paddy, you're talking about the studio stuff. The studio the stuff, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. obviously we've done all the VTs for the, the, the foreign trips and everything else, and, and we kind of knew, you know, how it was going to work in the edit, that. But seeing people's reactions to it live was was really special. And, and like I say, I, I feel as though... You know, touch wood, we might be onto something. It was, it was nice. You go in the studio, and obviously Chris had done two series before, but then it, it makes it all quite real. We're actually doing Top Gear. And even silly things that you've watched on the telly, when the audience laughs, it's like, that's the Top Gear laugh. Yeah, There's yeah. just strange things in the studio. And as you say, you walk in, and everyone there are Top Gear fans. And then they've got two new blokes on it. But the reaction, we really positive. Yeah, we, we we were all buzzing. Luke, look at him. It's just a wallet, Chris. 
What, what happened to Chris, right? This is what he does, right? When I first met Chris, we were doing a photo cool. shoot and I was getting ready and I put a bit of aftershave and he went, oh, aftershave. I'm like, that's just normal, Chris. That's what people do. <laughs> so do you think it's normal to create a thick mist of scent in a room and then walk into it? It wasn't a Yeah, thick that's mist. from Queer Eye. That's he sprayed what, that's a layer and then exactly. walk away. Exactly. Yeah. He, sprayed, yeah. he sprayed enough to cover... I'm a millennial. <laughs> ...a rugby team and he walked into it. It was it was embarrassing. So I felt, do you I think these two are sort of embarrassingly showbiz? Is that what you're saying? Excuse me? Why am I getting dragged into this? <laughs> I'm just sat here minding my own business <laughs> and you passed me off as Paddy McGuinness. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I will defend myself. <laughs> I think that I think an element of peacockery has 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 crept into Paddy McGuinness's life. Yeah. Right. I, I think yeah. the Paddy McGuinness of 1998 would be befuddled by some of the Paddy McGuinness of 2019. And there's there's elements of that crept into Chrissy's life, not the pee, the other bit. <laughs> uh, Let's take it back a step. Um, how did you initially get the jobs? Did you guys have to audition? Do you have to yeah. do car tests? Tell us a bit about that side of it. I took a screen test. I'd been filming League of Their Own in the studio, and I came off, and my agent, Richard, was there, and he said, with a big smile on his face, you want to have a go at Top Gear? And he knew that I wanted to. It's, it's something we'd spoken about. If there was one job you could do in TV, it would be that. So I love cars, and what a, what a way to travel as well. So I went for a screen test, and I was, I was quite competitive with it. I wanted this. But when I got there, it wasn't like that. It was all quite relaxed. Where Chris was there, he was brilliant, and the producers. And he just driving and talking and desperately hoping I'd get it at the end of it. And there you are. And Paddy, what about you? <laughs> the strangest thing with, with the whole gig is, obviously when you're meeting with the Top Gear uh, bods, it's all been very top secret back in the day, you know, and they kept everything under wraps. And they give you pseudonyms. And uh, we had to check into an hotel so I checked into this hotel and they're like, this is your name. They picked a character I played in Coronation Street a few years back for some Dougie Ryan. So I went, uh, Dougie Ryan. And he went, yeah, got that. Can I have your ID? And I went, <laughs> so I give, him my, I give him my ID and he went, this is not Dougie Ryan. And I went, no, no, that's, there is no Dougie Ryan. I said, it is me. And he went, yes, but I need Dougie Ryan's ID. So literally I had to, this was about 12 o'clock at night. I couldn't check into the hotel. I had to get in a car, drive to like a Premier Inn and check in under Paddy McGuinness, like in an hotel where he's like just full of people anyhow. So that just totally blew that one. So that was kind of, it's a weird thing to me because it's such a massive show. But then things like that happen where it's like, it, it's quite funny. It, it amuses me. What do you check in under, Chris? Chris Harris. No, 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 The natural anonymity of being Chris yeah. Harris amongst you two peacocks. You see, you, you do the work for me. You're all, you're all the jazz hat. I'm, I'm the bass. So, Chris, you've got this bromance going on with Matt LeBlanc, and then these two come in. How are you feeling about it? Oh, I feel like a traitor. <laughs> Judas. Um, um, Matt will always be a great buddy, and I love working with him. You know, it's be, it was a really, really good time. But it came to an end because um, you know he couldn't carry on, and I think these two have been fantastic fun. I'm, I'm having you know a really really good time. You move on, don't you? You have to. I, as I said, Matt will always be a mate, but these two are very different in their own particular ways. Pa- Paddy, you know, <laughs> cheers, Chris. Paddy, <laughs> Paddy likes to think he's as famous as Matt, but he's not. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, I'm, not, I'm not as rich. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm definitely not all that. Um, and I think I think as a team now we've got. You know, a broader set of skills because we've got we've got humour, competitiveness. I think the three works really well. 
the audience will have to judge it, but I think we're in a good place. With Chris saying that, we were in the studio the other day, and uh, there was this little bit where we had Danny Boyle on, talking about his new film, which is uh, kind of like about this guy who, who is the only person on earth who remembers Beatles songs. So he releases them as his own tracks and starts cleaning up, making loads of money and everything else. And I said to Chris, uh, I downloaded uh, Obladi Oblada. And he's like, what? And I went, I said, I'll get them singing it in room. And he went, not a chance. That audience will not respond to that. I'm telling you now, Mr. Top Gear over there, they are not that kind of audience. I said, well, we'll see. And it was going really well. And I went, oh, bloody. And they all joined in. And I was like, have that, Aris. <laughs> So that's the difference now. They're just buying into it. They just, I think they just want to have a laugh. So we're judging our success on all the yeah. Unbelievable. Oh, Look, I, I think we're in a good place. You know, the audience is going to have to judge it. And I think for me, the studio, the first studio we did a couple of weeks ago was really interesting. What about on the track and on the road? Who's the best driver? Oh, me. yeah. Oh. But, but they're so far behind, it's embarrassing. But how come it's you really don't win any of the yeah. challenges? Because they can <laughs> get on the stand. Because you two have in your contracts some oh. clause oh. about not being able to lose. Oh. Listen to this. No. Quite clearly. Oh, my word. That is <laughs> Chris, scandalous. what about these two? Who, who, talk about their driving skills. Who's the best out of these two? Okay, maybe? so first of all, I've been very rude there. They're good drivers. You know, you can't do this job unless you can pedal a bit. It's not possible. You've got to be able, the basic skills of Top Gear. Can he drive? Can he talk at the same time? And you'd be surprised at the number of people that can't actually do that. These two can both do it. Who's the better driver between the two of them? They are, for me at the moment, level pegging. I know that's a real cop out. Um, I'd probably normally say that Fred was a bit better, but that's because he's bigger. And therefore, <laughs> and he's got a longer reach. Uh, but those are the only reasons I'd give for it. They're, I, they're, they're good. Yeah, I'd go with that. The frustrating thing is, is Chris's driving. It's really annoying that he'll be taking a car sideways while doing a piece to camera. Um, and then me and him, on our best day, like if you have a good day, you'll win and vice versa. But all yeah. the challenges are set to make it a level playing field, really. Yeah, there's, there's no You'll advantage. all usually have a challenge your car will be more suited to. Yeah. You know, so it won't just be all... I mean, if you were just driving high-performance cars around a track, Chris you. is going to win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chris is going to win all day long, so that, you know, which is no fun for anyone watching, apart from Chris I'll tell you friends. the surprise factor here. <laughs> oh, sorry, his friend. The surprise... The That's su- it, just unbelievable. The, the surprise factor here is, of course, when we screen-tested everyone, we, we were really impressed by Fred's competitiveness and the fact that he just wanted to get on and win. We, we thought that would be a really great element for the show. But Paddy is massively competitive. You expect the professional sportsman to be the one that wants to win as a knuckle down, but this one, Paddy, is massively competitive I think as that's, well. We all, we all do, don't we, when we do anything? Even no matter what it, what the challenge is, we always want to, you know, no matter how ludicrous it is, we always want to win but, it. But, he, but he's saying that, but he's the, he's the worst. And I, I, th- I think the three of us bring that out in each other. Yeah. Because you know, if you lose, you know what's going to happen. I want oh. a, I want a, a, a challenge the week. And he was asking the producers if they'd set a track up, a separate tr- track up for me to go a different way because he couldn't believe the <laughs> time. There has, there has been like, a couple of stewards' inquiries on yours, though, aren't there? <laughs> this is unbelievable. Well, I think, ultimately, you've got the most powerful agent. Oh, dear <laughs> me. That's what it comes down it's to. Scandalous. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about the first episode. There's a there's a trip in the first episode in, to Ethiopia. Can yeah. you tell us a bit about that one? Yeah, um... We went to Ethiopia. We went um, and we took our first cars. Not our actual first cars, but the first cars that we bought a variation of. And I'll be honest with you, Ethiopia is one of the best places I've ever been. 
And Paddy, a trip like that for you is quite unusual because I don't think you, I'm right in saying you haven't travelled much before Top Gear. Oh, you there? were right in saying that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not very well travelled. But when I got the green light for the gig, you know, it was my wife who said to me, Luke, you'll go to places you'll never, ever, ever get the chance to and you'll do something amazing when you're there. And, you know, when the kids are older, you can tell them about all the... And I thought, God, she's right, you know. So I just embraced that because I'm, I'm not a good traveller. I don't like flying. But I went on a course to sort of get my head around the flying and all that carry on, and it paid paid off dividends. And uh, and no, I actually quite enjoy flying. What <laughs> what sort of course? Like hip, hypnosis or no? It's uh, this guy at the priory because uh, that was another thing. This doctor and he said, "Oh, he's he's quite good with anything like that." I said, "Where is it? A priory?" I went, "I'm not I'm not got like, like a drugs and drink thing because that's kind of my only images of the priory." And it's like. It's an amazing sort of facility, the Priory, because they've got so many different things going on there. Uh, so whether you want to give up smoking or whatever, you know, you, you might have a theory, or what? No, no, I'm just saying because someone okay. might listen to this might genuinely have a phobia or think, oh, well, right, sounds well, like you're trying to plug stuff to me. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not on a deal with the Priory. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> and he just sort of, you know, I had a few sessions with him, and you know, just me and him in a room, and you talk about it and talk about. And it's all that sort of trace. Everything can be traced back at some point, usually in your childhood, something you won't even think about. And you have these things these in your brain called the amygdala, and it, it sends these... What? Amygdala. Making, Again, it's... You're it's, making it's, Paddy, Paddy, I'm not... Paddy, you're, you're making it Paddy, Paddy, you're you're you've not up. been booked for this. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is not what they wanted. They were not liking or liked it. They didn't want to... Let the amygdala see the dollar. You don't want neurophysics. I can hear them switching off, obviously, the radio. What do people listen to on podcasts these days? That's so far behind I am in the curve. What do we listen to? They're just throwing their headphones out there. Headphones, yeah. Earphones. The Bluetooth yeah, earpods, yeah. earpods. Yeah. Is this quite an intense job? You're in each other's pockets. For I mean, how long's the filming going for? How many months? Hundred and odd days a year, aren't we? Yeah. Hundred and twenty yeah. days a year. Or yeah. I genuinely don't know what series we're on them in. I really don't because they sort of were doing two series together and this, that, and the other, and, and specials episodes yeah. coming up later on in the year, and uh, so I've not, I've not a clue, you know. But, uh, but it's not, it's not, it's not a chore, like he says, a job. Oh, yeah. We're travelling world, driving cars, having a laugh. Yeah. It's, it's and so, not just cars, I'm guessing. It's always some kind of weird... There's always a twist in that, because yeah. we, we went to Iceland, didn't we, over a week, and we did that Formula Off-Road, which Mm-mm-mm. you really enjoyed, didn't you? No. <laughs> not at all. I mean, in the trailer, there's the hearse as well, which is pretty good. Which yeah. is quite good. It flips over, doesn't it? It looks quite yeah, action-packed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really good. Well, that, that, that was my finest episode, hour. Yeah, that particular episode's all about... Um, finding the ultimate family car on a budget so there's this little dark corner of auto trader where you can pick up a hearse right which is a daimler for around about 1300 quid it's a fantastic engine fantastic Four Pe- engine. people just got to get past the death side of things once you get past that and give it a respray loads of room in the back for your shopping <laughs> there's air conditioning you can put a ball p- pond in for the kids which we did with ours so it's about making a hearse a family car. Gosh, none of you seem very nervous or anything. I was going to ask about nerves. The first show's not gone out yet. It's a huge show. You know, there's a lot of people be looking at the ratings and those sort of things. But judging from today, you, you seem pretty relaxed about it all. I think when you work in telly for a long time, you get a, a sense of how things are going to go. And looking at the edited foreign trips we'd done, I, I had a good feeling. I thought, oh, that, they look really nice. And then the first show we did in the studio, like I was saying before, you think, right, let's see 
oh, the public. There's about 500 people in that room. So if you if there's like 15 or 20 people laughing, you're thinking, mm, that's not... But everyone responded well to it. So I think it just relaxes you a little bit. And I never... I think myself and Fred have come into Top Gear at the right time. If you were taking over straight on the back of Clarkson, I think it's a bit of a poison chalice then. You know, it's well documented everything what happened with Chris Evans. And then Matt took over Chris and did a few series, then Matt couldn't carry on. And I feel as though for us, it, did, it to me personally, I don't know if Fred feels, but I, I didn't feel the pressure because of that, because it had been further down the line. I, I, I didn't, to be honest. I, I think that's testament to how good Chris is, because we've gone into his show and he's been brilliant. Just everyone working on it. It's just been enjoyable. And I, I learned when I was playing cricket that I can't affect pressure from the outside. I've got no, you know, playing cricket for England, everyone's got an opinion, everyone's saying what you should be doing, quick to po- point out your shortcomings. But the only control is the pressure you put on yourself. I've enjoyed it and I've done it best I can and I've, I've had a laugh. And hopefully when people watch it, they'll love it, but I've had a go, on it. I think... Um from my side what's been really interesting is the amount of sort of latent love there is for these two out there they're people that the that the general population really like um as a sports person as, and also as a, now as a tv personality and him just as a you know massive tv personality and to be a part of a top gear that has people on board that are wanted to win is really refreshing because i've been a part of a top gear where frankly people wanted us to lose and that was quite a dispiriting experience this is very different. I just th- I look I read the social media when I when I can, you know, dare to do so, and it's just basically all of their followers going. I'm going to switch on and look at that. It could be a right laugh, and that's what we want it to be. The, you know, the great thing about Top Gear, yes, it's a big entity. Yes, it, you know, it's very important for the organisation that runs it. But it's a show about cars. You know, we're not trying to halve the third world debt. You know, we're we're doing the least yeah. serious thing on the planet, and we're utterly privileged to do it. And it goes out at eight o'clock on a Sunday night, and it's supposed to make your life a bit more fun. That, that's that's really the beginning, and the end of it. And what a wonderful thing to be a part of. Having said that, I think it will be a bit more real when that first episode goes out <laughs> on the sixteenth of June. Because even the first time going to Dunsfold on the track, when I went out, I think it was I was you, Chris, and you see the aeroplane that you've seen so many times on the TV, and then you drive round all the corners and you see in the track, and you think, I'm a Top Gear presenter. How how has this happened? You know, I was a dodgy cricketer for fifteen <laughs> years, and I've done other stuff in TV, and now I've ended up on Top Gear. So there is a responsibility. You're right. There is a responsibility, but it kind of feels sometimes when you're involved in stuff in telly, you 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 know, like I was saying before, you go, mm, is it going to work this? But it feels pretty natural, and it feels quite quite organic with us how we work. You know, it's not not scripted. Everything you see when we're doing our trips is just whatever's coming out of our mouths. That is that is set in stone. Paddy can't read anyway. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll find out on Sunday, won't we? Yeah, we will. That's we will. You know, and, and, but it's like, it's like anything else. Telly now, as opposed to sort of telly 30 years ago, 30 years ago, you'd have like two TV critics in the sun and the mirror, the tabloids kind of thing, who'd be like the all-powerful, you know, opinions. No, you've got hundred million TV critics who just. I mean, we're the only op- ones that matter, but yeah, sure, yeah. yeah but, but you know what I mean. Everyone just has an opinion, so you know it is true. Everyone is a critic, so you know, no matter what you do with that show, as long as you can be proud of it yourself, you you can read a thousand lovely messages. You read one bad one, that's all that'll stay with you. So I don't get 
swept up in all that to be honest i never have done with anything i've done tv's a different entity now to what it used to be top gear is a different entity it's it's different from when clerks you know everyone goes on about clerks and i'm and main you know and the the viewers they got well they you know they were like nine or ten years to get to that point and hammond having a crash you know which so it's kind of like this is our first go at it you know give us a chance and let's let's get it back to where it was so what what if i said to you then in nine or ten years time you freaking still be doing it would you would you be up for that of course it's a job for life for you you like it that much absolutely yeah yeah it's like fred said you know it, you're traveling the world driving cars and you and you're in cars that you you can only dream of driving you know I mean, listen I'm a, I'm a dad of three kids i look at cars now for how many isofix bases are in the back so if, if i get the chance to drive a bugatti or a ferrari or whatever i'm all over it you know so it's uh yeah it's a dream gig really in 10 years time being realistic if we've done it with fred he's going to have killed one of us <laughs> so, so yeah, it's the sun, but i'd like to carry on going until he does spanner us yeah, yeah. i'll be 51 then i don't know what i'm doing tomorrow <laughs> so i'm i'm not one who looks at all this in 10 years time I'd, I'd love to be i'm enjoying what i'm doing um but i say i don't take many things for granted and especially with tv i think i'm gonna get found out every day because <laughs> it's not my background i was a sportsman and i think that's one of the good things is that keeps you on your toes keeps you sharp so i think it's dangerous to think you know what in 10 years time i still like to be doing this i'm just happy i'm here now but i think we w we all want to give it a decent run oh, we won't have a run that's it. the of one course, thing yeah. is, you know you've got to give it a decent run it seems that increasingly you know linear television you don't get much of a chance you know it either has to smash it straight away or or, or you're you know you're decommissioned and i think mm -hmm. we want to prove that this is worth sticking with so i remember when we started illegal around 10 years ago we're into the 13th or 14th season we've done road trips I reckon if that programme started now in its original form, or oh, we wouldn't have got another go, but uh, now it's had time to grow on that. Where this, we need to hit the ground running and we need it to, to be right pretty much from show one. But we're in a good place. Mm. I've got a sense in the audience, people want Top Gear back, they love the show and yeah. they want a show they can watch on a Sunday night. Fantastic. Well, we can't wait to see it. Thank you so much for coming into the Series Inc. studios to chat to us. That was good fun. Thank you, Paddy, Freddie and Chris for coming in. You can see the all new Top Gear this Sunday, 8 o'clock on BBC Two. And obviously check it out on the iPlayer as well. So while we're talking about cars, Jeffers, lots of petrol heads in the studio today, I'm going to make this my big question to you this week. What do you think is the greatest car chase in telly history? This is a more tricky one for me. If you've seen me driving, you'll know that this isn't a specialist <laughs> subject for me. Um, Are you like a sort of old woman, 19 miles an hour type of person? Yeah, I'm just, and I struggle with the concentration, steering. Yeah, I'm just what? not, if, if the radio's on, I'm just, I'm not the best driver in the world. That's that's all I'm saying. You um, struggle with concentration well, while the yeah, radio's on? Yeah, you know. Maybe um, you shouldn't be allowed on the road. Anyway, carry on. I think looking back, the classic answer would be the Sweeney. I think there's so many, probably won an episode in the likes of that, the Bill, Line of Duty, there's been some pretty good ones. Miley Cyrus even had one in Black Mirror, the, the new Black Mirror that was out the other week. But I think... My choice, having done a bit of research on YouTube, I'm going to go to an EastEnders one. You can look this up. It's 2002, Steve Owen and Phil Mitchell. And they're basically chasing around. Um, Steve Owen's got a baby in the back. And it's actually the, the car chase that led to Steve Owen dying in it. So it's quite a dramatic, maybe not best or best slash dramatic car chase ever. Um, the, I, I was reading about it. And apparently the reason they did it like that was because Martin Kemp was going to ITV. So they wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to come back on EastEnders. <laughs> So they made it a really good car chase and basically he got bumped off. But yes, it's quite dramatic, 
for 2002 standards if you look it up. They wanted to cause improper pain. I thought you were going to go for something like Life on Mars. I did also think of the Sweeney, but no, EastEnders. Good choice. Let's talk about some more telly now. Channel 4's got a new documentary out called The Restaurant That Makes Mistakes, which is a pretty intriguing title. Tell us more, Jeffers. This is Wednesday nights, 9 o'clock on Channel 4, and it's a bit like, um, you remember Vicky McClaw's uh, Dementia Choir programme? To be honest, it's a bit like that, but instead of the choir, what you've got is you've got the restaurant. It's set in Bristol. I think it's about 18 dementia sufferers. A Michelin-starred chef in Bristol called Josh Eggleton it's his idea. He's got 18 dementia sufferers. They go into a new restaurant of his and basically they're going to open it and see if they can run it as dementia sufferers, you know, as if it's a normal restaurant. That's why it's called It May Make Mistakes because obviously they're prone to being mistakes. I was a bit worried when I first heard about this. I read the, the sort of information before I watched it and it sounded quite a big undertaking to me to open a restaurant. It's one thing being able to set up a choir and, and learning to sing and, and having some emotion and some sort of fulfilment through that. But this felt like quite a big thing to take on opening a restaurant. And so it proved in the first episode, it, it, it's quite a struggle for them. At the same time, there are, it's, it's a very sort of moving some of the stories in terms of some of the sufferers. And also a few of them do seem to be getting a lot of benefit from it. They're going to be tested throughout and you're going to see whether there's some improvement in them in terms of their morale, but also in terms of their sort of health. So it's quite it's quite an interesting setup. What did you make of it? Yeah, I quite liked it, and I definitely liked the idea behind it. I thought it was quite good in shining a light as a documentary. It shone a light on people that you wouldn't necessarily think of when you're thinking of dementia. Younger people, people have different forms of dementia, and it made you think about you know because you're always the focus on these kind of things is about people's families, which is obviously where it hits you most. But you and I are quite workaholic, like I'd say, Jeffers. And this, I think this is quite a, a serious consideration. If you had this kind of diagnosis and then your work was taken away from you, a big part of your identity, that would obviously be horrendous. And that's kind of what they focused on, which I found really interesting. I don't know whether I think it's going to work as an actual concept in real life, but as a teleprogram, I thought it was quite good. There were some interesting case studies or some uh, sort of profiles of some of the people taking part as well. Um, there's a gynecologist called Avril. She's in her 60s. An incredibly intelligent woman. She's performed operations all around the world, life-saving operations. And now, unfortunately, her memory is almost non-existent. You see her, she really struggles in, in some of the early tests. She unfortunately struggles to f- find her belongings at one point. And I, f- I found it quite heartbreaking to look at her on screen. Um, her husband arrives in the restaurant at one point and she almost struggles to sort of picture that it definitely is him. It's quite an emotional watch as well. But also it's quite it's quite interesting, quite informative. And yeah, hopefully for the volunteers... Uh, it, there will be some benefit and classic classic this kind of program not just channel 4 rachel riley's there hugh bonneville's there i mean why there have to be random celebrities thrown in just so you know this is important because you know hugh bonneville said so and you know suzanne packer who's at the other table why i don't, I don't really understand the point of that yeah they're all there eating the one exception is david Badil. he's there and he goes before service starts but his his father has had alzheimer's so he has got a connection with, with the volunteers and, and there's also a, a young guy there who potentially could get the same type of disease that David's father's got. So there's an interesting conversation between them. But yeah, I'm, I'm not sure with regards to the, the general diners, what, what you get, what addition you get from having celebrities. I, I find the more interesting bits when there's friends and family of the volunteers there and their sort of eagerness to please them and, and just sort of them sort of trying to make it all work and the keenness. The other factor really is, is just that they all seem to get tired quite easily they're obviously concentrating a great deal it, it probably takes a bit more out of them than maybe somebody else who whose mem- memory comes more easily and, and so that that's something i think maybe is going to go on as we go through the different parts it's going to be whether they can keep it going because the idea is they're meant to keep this restaurant running for a few weeks and after the first episode it looks like it's sort of make or break and that they've only barely started 
Well, it's going to be emotional. If that doesn't make you cry, though, this definitely will. Long Lost Family is back on ITV. I don't think I've ever watched an episode without bawling my eyes out. It just gets you every time. I was watching on the train. It was very embarrassing, actually, at this time. Uh, I was watching on my phone. They're kicking off with a big special this year, aren't they? I mean, this is incredible. I didn't, I didn't watch this that often. I watched this when I was sick in bed and I was crying my eyes out after about 20 minutes, um, <laughs> which is quite unusual for me because I've got a bit of a heart of stone, to be honest with you. But it's all around I'm a 67-year-old called Christy. Rose, and she doesn't know a great deal about her past at all. She was adopted. She just knows she was taken away from her mum and that she knows that there were two other sisters uh, involved and that, and that she didn't end up with them. She's never seen them since that day, so she only remembers them when they were very, very small. And it's sort of the search to find them. And, and then the story sort of grows and grows. And it it's absolutely incredible to see them reunited. The, the story in this case takes a lot of twists and turns. It doesn't feel like it's padded in any way. It just seems to keep growing and, and, and becomes more and more sort of moving the more you go on. Yeah, it's a great story. It's a really good one to kick off with. But I think this is, it's a show that, I mean, they're on what, series nine, 10 or something by now. Um, and it never seems to dip in quality. And Davina and Nikki are really good with them. It's never about them. They're always really good with the contributors. And, you know, people always ask Davina, oh, why don't you cry? And she's like, because it's not about me. It's about, you know, I have to just hold it together. I think it's a bit a bit of telly gold, to be honest with you, on ITV. I think it's, it's a pretty tried and tested format. The other thing I think reminded me, because I'm not someone that watches it all the time, it's a little bit like, who do you think you are? But what you've got but is... interesting. Well, it's a lot more interesting <laughs> for one good reason, and that is because all the people you're talking about, all the historic people, they're all there, or a lot of them certainly are there, and they come out of the woodwork and they're there in three dimensions, and you're meeting all these people. With historical programmes, it's interesting to know, oh, you, you had this relative or this person was related to you, but they're just a piece of paper, aren't they, generally, or, or if we're lucky, a photograph. In this case particularly with this incredible story to start with, all these people, it just the family tree keeps getting bigger and bigger and we see these people come alive in front of the cameras and it's such an incredible thing for, for Christina particularly and then, and then for her sisters going forward. It's remarkable, really. Now it's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die. Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly tells us a must-see series. Last week, Piers Morgan chose The Office, and this week, it's the turn of Matthew Wright. Here he is with his box set to watch before you die. Uh, my favourite box set is uh, a Scottish comedy made by the BBC. It's called Still Game. Who is it, please? Hector McDade and Jack Jarvis. Uh, Esquire. It revolves around the adventures of a bunch of old people who live in a tenement block in Glasgow who spend most of their time in the pub. The twist is, is that all the old people are actually played by younger people, but they look so convincing it's just hard to separate out the fact that, well, you just fall for it hook, line and sinker. What's this? If I get half the lift at a zombie movie? <laughs> the adventures all revolve around the Klansman pub run by Borby the Barman. And I found that I think it's eight or nine series. You get to know the characters and they become your friends and your extended family. Maybe 60 pounds worth of devil dog and tapping me, tearing at me, trying to eat me. The whole time I'm, I'm getting at body blows. I must have hit it about 40 times in the gut. Nothing. I didn't even wind it. I didn't. It clocked a wee dog and went away and pumped it. And if you've never seen it, Tune in and you might be a little bit put off at first by the Scottish dialogue. It's you know, fairly intensely Scottish, but stick with it. You'll get used to it. And there is a lifetime of pleasure and laughter wrapped in those shows. It's all the commotion. a good wee thing. I like it. I would like to get one of them. So still game. You seen this, Jeffers? 
I have seen a bit of it now, and to be honest, I'm not very game. But I, I will, I will do my best to talk up for Matthew because it is a, it's a good choice. It's, it's a different choice, and it's a bit left field compared to some of the other stuff we've had. So it's, it's around two pensions, as he said, Jack and Victor, and they're played by Ford Kiernan and Greb Hemphill, and they're the two guys that write all the episodes. They came up with it. I'd say it's a bit of a cross between Last of Summer Wine and Mrs. Brown's Boys. Jeez, that's that... not selling it to me, but yeah, carry on. But for, for millions of people, that is going to be right. That's a big deal, yeah. yeah. And it also, as Matthew said, it ran for nine series, won quite a lot of awards as well. Um, if you want to watch it, it's going to be repeated on BBC at the end of June, and there's seven series on Netflix. Yeah, it is quite sort of light-hearted humour. The, the guys in it are all, all young, dressed as old people. It, it's fairly um, mainstream comedy, but it definitely had a big following. You know, you don't get nine series on the BBC without being funny for a lot of people. So it's definitely going to have an audience for, for some people who are listening. Incidentally, if we were doing a feature called Box Set to Never Ever Watch, Last of the Summer One would be at the top of my, of my list. It was the worst programme ever made. It was always on, on Sunday nights. It was a nightmare. But I'm sure Still Game is much better than that, by, by what you're saying. I think you'd enjoy it more than that, yeah. I, sure, I can't okay. say you're going to love it, but uh, you, I think some people will and, and some people definitely do. OK, well... You know, thanks, Matthew, for your choice. It's going to be a divisive one, but hopefully some people will agree with you. You can listen to Matthew weekday afternoons on Talk Radio. And there'll be another box set to watch before you die next week. Nearly out of time in this week's episode. Contain your tears, though, because as ever, we need to scan across our EPGs and hazard a little guess at what we'll be talking about, not just next week, but also next month and next year. Now, it was a difficult week last week for Jeffers fans. Really tough. But he's back. Here he is, Jeffers. What should we be keeping an eye on next week? We're ending in style again. I'm I'm pleased to be back as well, you know. (laughs) Next week, June the 18th, we've got The Late Late Show with James Corden, which is going to be live from London. There's four special episodes. It's going to appeal to a lot of people. I'm also going to cheat a bit and I'm going to give a shout out to Big Little Lies episode two because I think it's even better than the first one. I've already watched Ted and there's some real jaw-dropping stuff in that. So that is unmissable. Amazing. Next month? Next month, we've got Stranger Things series three. That's coming out on Netflix on July the 4th. It's set during the summer of 1985, so I'm told to expect some Back to the Future references. So they're hoping that Americans spend Independence Day just purely watching Stranger Things. Nice. What about next year? Next year, there's a couple of options. Uh, Channel 4 have just announced a new drama called Dead Water Fell, and that's going to have David Tennant in it. It's set in Scotland, and uh, he's a family man, a local GP, and then there's a big load of deaths, and it's all about who did it, why, what's happened. It sounds a bit mysterious. And then ITV have also announced a new drama called Flesh and Blood, and that also sounds pretty good, and that's going to star Imelda Staunton and Russell Tovey. Imelda Staunton's doing loads at the moment. Love it. Right, brilliant. Thanks, Jeffers. Lots for us to keep an eye on there. And that's all we've got time for. This has been the Series Linked podcast. I know you know that. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating, if you would, and a little review as well. It really helps us out. And make sure you've subscribed as well, for your sake, so that the next episode is ready and waiting for you when it drops next Tuesday. For now, though, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. See you next week. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to. 
because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from, some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy, so we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.